All right, this is episode eight with Jamie Warren. I've known Jamie for a long time, and uh, we had uh, a good night of chatting, talking about uh, his career and the music industry and the recording and singing and all that good stuff, and I uh, really enjoyed it. So let's get the single on. <laughs> All right, we're here with Jamie Warren. Uh, it's uh, thanks for coming out. No problem. It's awesome to have you here. We saw each it's, other just a few days ago at the uh, Legends Show. Yeah, uh, at the CCMA's. That was, was fun. Yeah, CCMA's in Hamilton yeah. is is that's old time. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, we had it there what four or five years in a row, and then for a while it, it flipped back and forth between Calgary and yeah. And back Hamilton. in the back in the day when I I was going all the time. Um, it was majority of the time it was in Hamilton, mm-hmm. so it really felt yeah. like like the good old days uh, for me. Well, anyways, well, so you know, I, I, that made me think of a funny story. Is that um, speaking of the old days, it had hits in the eighties, yeah. And when we went to CCMA's in at that time, uh, we all played in clubs. I, I was funny. I responded to a Randy Owen post today because he went to Winnipeg in nineteen eighty six to yeah. the CCMA's. I was there. Wow. And so what we did was they, the the town of city of Winnipeg, sorry, uh, every bar became a country bar for those four days. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so I, I I had my PA like all the bands drove there, um, and so I was the host band of one of those hotels. So I got yeah. paid a little extra cash. The drag was that it was my sound system, so I had to be there the whole time. Yeah. The whole time, and then we would do the last set. So the only time that we hung out with other musicians outside of those that I was playing with that week was a hospitality suite between 2 and 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. They had it every year at whatever city they were at. Yeah. And so that's where we all met, a few of the radio guys and a bunch of the musicians, yeah. because our, our gigs were over. And so we'd, we'd drink from 2 till 4 and go back to bed and sleep till noon. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that was uh, in the old days. And then the other story that I didn't finish was that uh, in between, so they had hits in the '80s, and then was told I wasn't really country anymore. About 1989, I went oh, yeah, okay, and yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so I played clubs for a while, but the CCMA's kept going, yeah. and uh, so Beth and I would uh, we'd watch her. Her folks are from Hamilton, so we'd watch the first half of the award show on TV. Yeah, then we'd drive down, park the car, and go to the Sheraton Hotel and have a drink and watch the remainder of the show on TV and wait for everybody to wander through from Hamilton Place going to the, the gala, you know, get together afterwards. Yeah. And we just walked with them That's and cool. got in for free. That was... <laughs> yeah, I know. I still was, remember so many times just slipping into all these events. You yeah. just go for nothing. And there was just a way you could do it, and there's you know. And then they started with the little, yeah. They they got the codes and stuff, so you, yeah, yeah. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, it was neat at the Legends show because you saw, um, you know, people I haven't seen for quite a long time, and it was it's it's neat because it brings back a lot of great memories, and um, you know, obviously a lot of them are still very much relevant now. And but uh, I remember it was neat seeing Michelle Wright. Mm -hmm. I still remember. Every time I see her, I remember this because it stayed with me a long time. We were playing with the Walters family, Craven, back in 80-something. Right. And uh, we had a tour bus back then and because we used to do the fair. Fancy pants. Yeah. There you go. But we did all these fairs and stuff, right? So we were gone for months at a time. So we were just, that was our, you know, that was our home away from home. 
So I remember playing, and then Michelle came uh, to visit us. And she says, oh, she says, this is oh, so cool to have a bus and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And she goes, I still remember her freaking out that we had a tour bus. And then it was like three years later, that's probably all she used was tour buses after that point. Oh, sure. And, uh, uh, but it was, I still remember that point, her coming on and, and, you know, it's like, oh, this is really cool. And then obviously she launched and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but there's all these little tiny snippets. You see people always at their beginnings and where they mm-hmm. are now and, and where they got to and and it's uh it's it's really fun i mean it's, i think it's a really the canadian country music uh community is pretty small yeah overall um you know and i think everyone looks after each other and, it, and it's, it's, nice it's a family yeah. I, I think it really is and and i got a a good sense of that um i have a couple of michelle stories that will make sense but sitting around at this country music week and it was thursday uh bev had sent me a text say come over to the Sheridan for a drink and and it was a bunch of uh, it was Patricia Conroy myself yeah. uh, Ange was with me uh, Charlie Charlie Major and yeah. uh, Bob Funk oh, yeah. uh, Pat's husband great yeah. producer uh, and uh, and Bev uh, Mahood and it was just it was neat sitting around and just telling stories and 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 the thing that I noticed these c- compared to maybe three or four years ago it was a family and it is a family but those group of artists that I just mentioned to you, we're all a little more relaxed now. Yeah, and I, I, I that. Yeah, like it's just sort of, yeah. it's not that we weren't fun and all that sort of stuff before, or it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just... It didn't seem like it didn't have to be business. No. You, know? I, you didn't feel like you had to prove anything to anyone or how to, I know whatever that is when you're younger and, yeah. and trying to find your way in there. And it just, I think everyone was just right. like, yeah, we've done this a million times. And, and it's just, and, yeah. And I think that you, you developed that. It is an age, yeah. an age thing that happens, but I, I, and let the young kids stress out over that crap that doesn't really matter. But, yeah. but, and, and as I say that, I don't say that as an old guy or wish anything. I, we've got a great new younger generation uh that's coming up and and good on them um the michelle's story is is i i remember see because we you mentioned craven that was one of the first festivals craven and havelock were one of the first canadian festivals that came on board in the 80s when i was having hits michelle was having hits prairie oyster was having hits terry carice was having hits occasionally you'd get to play a fall fair yeah but there were no festivals so we all played six nights uh at a bar and yeah. shifted around the country and and i that's where i met michelle and i got to know each other i was based out of london and she was sort of london too because she came from the chatham area yeah. and i remember she she phoned me up and wanted to meet me and, and she because she wanted to pick my brain about this guy who wanted to manage her uh and this brian fairman guy yeah. and i said she because he's from london he said would i know him and i said well i'll check into him if if you want but i don't uh, and I, I, I did. I did some checking, and I said I got nothing bad to say. Yeah. And he, I guess he did okay for. Her. Yeah, but, he, that was a long, <laughs> long time. Uh, but that's, partnership there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of thing. That's how far back Michelle and I go. And and the interesting thing too, when you brought up the Legend Show, yeah. and it, what was fun for me is I got a picture with Dallas Harms. Yeah. Now, yeah, and so when in in nineteen eighty, we're talking eighty four, yeah. when Michelle Wright, Thomas Wade, and myself were all the same age, started coming on the scene. We were the loud young guys with long hair and parachute pants, right? Yeah, um, going to this country music awards setup, and where we ended up sitting with, or who we ended up sitting with, pardon me, at the end of the night was 
Dick Dameron, uh, Dallas Harms, Terry Carice, Paul Weber, Joe yep. Firth. That was the the older crew uh, to sit around and have a couple beers with and pick their brain. Yeah. And and I I gotta say uh, they were very open to having a beer and chatting uh, with us new young punks that we were the Brett Kissels of you know the mid eighties right. Yeah. And, and I, I that was really nice that they they took the time to not say you know get out of here yeah whippersnapper kind of thing and 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 I and and I learned from that and and I think too that I hope that that's the way I presented myself to this new generation of, of musicians and players because I, I've never been offended by music changing. I, I've yeah. always been excited about something new. Yeah. What I don't particularly care for is sameness. So if this pop goes the country is all the same, that gets boring. Yeah. If traditional country, uh, roots country gets the same, it's boring. Yeah. You know, I mix it up. That's what I, I always say. But I like... I like the youngsters. Yeah, it's neat to pay it forward, you know, mm -hmm. or it's, I think you get to a certain point in your life, you, it, it feels good to give back and, mm -hmm. and, and hopefully someone wants to hear your opinion and, and, or they're, you know, smart enough, uh, to listen, you know, cause I think there's a lot of people, especially at that legend show that could teach you a lot of things. Sure. And, uh. And I think every single one of them would sit and talk with you if you went mm -hmm. up and said, "Hey, could I, can I, you know, can I chat with you for five minutes? Mm -hmm. I have some questions about whatever." And I think everyone would be super happy to do that. And that's what I, when you were talking about the Canadian country music family, the our, our industry, I, I really believe for the most part is always like that. Yeah. Uh, you don't, you know, stick around, have a beer. Yeah. You'll get a chance to talk to somebody um, that that will answer some questions for you and that would be more than happy to to share their information. Because the other thing, too, and this is, I don't know why I'm saying this, but uh, it, it's connected. Uh, my dad once told me, because uh, we had a conversation, I'm, I'm a teenager, talking to my dad, and I, I brought up some guy I met that was a bit of an arse, and he was a rich guy, and mm -hmm. you know, guys with money. And my dad said, who was it? He said, okay. He said, have you ever really met a rich guy? And I go, what are you talking about? No, I mean like a really rich guy. Yeah. And he said, I've met a couple. And he said, nicest people I ever met in my life. And the reason is they don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. Because they have all the money in the world. What you probably just met was somebody who wants to be rich. Yeah. Somebody who has a who's, little bit of money who's worried about losing it. Yeah. That's where the, the assholes represent. And, and, and I take that into the talent quotient, right? Is when you meet somebody who's really talented, they don't have a problem sharing how they play their instrument or how they sing or how they've got ahead in the business because ultimately you will never do it like they do it. Yeah. And so there's a confidence there or a relaxation that comes from that confidence yeah. that is to be respected. Um, and, and, and that's okay. And, yeah. and that's why I really believe that... Uh, the majority of the people in our industry will sit down and have a beer with you and tell you, give you. Yeah. And I think, I think that's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's nice to, to know that. And I could see that, you know, when I was at, cause I haven't been to the CCMAs for a while. Our, our theater is always mm -hmm. open during that time. So for the last several years, I haven't been able to, to go. And luckily that day, I just had a, we had a matinee that day and the evening was free. I was like, Oh, okay, great. This is awesome. And it was a uh, killer show. Yeah. It's yeah. It's really good. It was really cool. At the end, the person who surprised me, come, who came up to me, and I, I didn't even think 
knew who I was was Russell DeCarl. Oh yeah. And he and he came up and shook my hand and I felt, at first I felt like he should shake my hand cuz I was just happened to be there or whatever that mm-hmm. you know you get that. And so I, you know, proceeded to say hi, I'm Darren Walters. Nice nice to meet you. And before I got my name it was oh, I know. <laughs> and yeah. I was like and I was sitting there. You know who I am? And uh so that was that was kind of cool. And, and funny enough, I the only time it was my my time I played with Prairie Oyster was on that stage for uh, the Country Music Awards uh, rehearsal. Oh, and um, oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank on uh, Prairie Oyster's fiddles player's name? John John Allen. Yeah, John, John P. Allen. John John P. Allen. He for some reason couldn't be there, and I was on deck to be playing with whoever before or after him, and I was just happened mm-hmm. to be there. And so they call me, hey, can you sit in and fill the spot while we, you know, get our shots together, do that usual thing. And we we played through the tune a couple of times. And that's my time. Oh, yeah. I, played with, I really didn't, wasn't, we we're all faking it. But uh, yeah, that was that was funny because as soon as he, he shook my hand and we looked at it, I'm thinking, yeah, this is the time I sat in for well, that's <laughs> that nobody knew that I actually ever did. Well, see, well, Russell, again, this goes back to the 80s when we used to bump into each other playing clubs and yeah. going to CCMAs. So I've had quite a few beverages, yeah. uh, adult beverages, with uh, with Russell and Keith over the years, often with the Good Brothers. Oh, yeah. Uh, seemed to get me into a little bit of trouble, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and, and Russell has a very interesting and unique voice. Yeah. It's still stands the test of time like it, you know it's russell's voice and i and i really i've always been a fan of that voice here's a funny story too outside of our drinking at country music week we did a uh, a run of shows about 97 98 and we were opening for prairie oyster yeah. and it was all up north it was like uh you know uh, north bay uh we we ended up in timmins uh, we did timmins but we had to run about five shows yeah anyway so we were playing timmins we're playing a high school, and we finished first. And and I there's the Maple Leaf is a storied bar. I yeah. know you know that place. And so I said to the audience, I said, "Well, we're all going for a drink at the Maple Leaf after. You know, if you want to join us, you know." I made a joke, and so we got there first. Um, and so it happened to be karaoke night. Well, I grabbed a beer and I went, "Ah, what the heck?" So I this I get up and I sang a duet. This girl asked me if I'd sing with her, and so we're singing a song. So as I'm singing karaoke. Keith walks in, Keith Glass, and he gives me this funny look like, what the hell are you doing, buddy? Really? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> so uh, that's fine. So then I, what I did was after I finished my song, I went to the karaoke guy and I picked a song and I put Keith Glass's name. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it ended up being a battle of the bands all night. So then Keith would put my name in for one. Yeah. And so at the end of this is a true story, after a lot of beers, we were both on stage singing uh, Mountain Music by Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and I know in the audience, all these karaoke stars were going, these guys have record deals? I mean, yeah. you know, that That's was funny. <laughs> one of well, those road moments. It would be cool to see Prairie Oyster again. Like, I think that that was one thing I thought that night, too, when I seen Russell with the King. That'd be really cool to see, you know. At, at least a legend a good, show? Absolutely. Yeah. At least a good chunk of them anyways. Um, whoever you could get, that would be. That would be really neat to see. Yeah. They were really unique. I mean, they had the... Absolutely. Um, Joan's a great writer. Yeah. Um, they had that kind of Spirit of the West vibe mm-hmm. where, you know, they were kind of country and kind of not, 
and kind of had their own really i think they had the most unique band sound that i remember from any canadian group for queen, years queen street i can't say that queen street country is is yeah. sort of that toronto thing where they they kind of started in the 70s and and that that sound is is very unique i, yeah. I don't think um yeah th- their age and when they started playing country music is their sound yeah you know? yes yeah, uh, it's pretty neat so let's go back uh obviously we're chatting with with jamie and we're going off track but that's all oh, right well where being Talk. nostalgic yeah i know it's good um how far back how far back darren do you want to go, go back buddy? to that first minute <laughs> <laughs> my childhood you you grew up in Hanover, right? I or did. that that area. I was born in Kitchener. Yeah, uh, lived here till I was five, and then Hanover's my hometown. Yeah, yeah, and home also of the Mercy Brothers. Oh, that's right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm the second. Yeah, is there sign up on yeah, the way in? Not for me. <laughs> Maybe for the Mercy Brothers. <laughs> um, um, so what was the, what was the first thing you did? You start playing first, or did you start singing? What was the, um, well, see, what kind of combination? My my mom uh, played piano and sang. My yeah. dad played guitar and mandolin, sang. Uh, so I come from a musical background, and there was a time where we did a couple of shows together, um, yeah. talent shows, when I was like thirteen. That set aside, my mom wanted me to learn instruments so i started at five piano lessons at five yeah so the old lady used to wrap my knuckles man oh it was, oh, it was just <laughs> that's great and i and at some point till eight well five years old till eight and my mom pulled me into the living room and said okay look your dad i had a conversation and you're wasting our money because you're not practicing uh so you don't have to take piano anymore and under my breath i'm thinking yes yeah. but and that's what she said but you will learn an instrument so pick another one and i went Okay, guitar. And so then I spent eight years doing conservatory guitar, which if you see me play, you may not really wonder if I had cut my money's worth there too. <laughs> but that, you know, my mom wanted me to learn an instrument. Yeah. And, and the fascinating thing is all I wanted to do is play hockey. Oh, and, yeah. and so every year my hockey was threatened at least once uh, during hockey season if I didn't practice more. Oh, yeah. And I go, well, you can't, you know, because, and yeah, yeah, you're not playing hockey unless you practice more. It's like, and so it's tough when you're they, young to I know to want to do that. Well, and they they basically I tell this story and and my mom thinks I'm lying, but it's a funny story and it is a true story. Is yeah. that I blame them for my career, um, and it wasn't until I was 14, Darren, when I started writing songs, is when it finally made sense. I would have been a really okay hockey player um, had I not listened to them, uh, and and it it was a huge, and and that got me through high school. You know, being able to write songs and yeah. and sort of cathart and and um, and it became uh, you know my guitar became sort of a second best friend you know uh, and and came a became a part of who I was and not to mention I found that you know girls don't mind it no so like that. it was uh, it's a bonus yeah it was kind of a uh, a cool thing so do you think your mom had an instinct that you were going to play or do something or she saw something there or do you think it was just something that she wanted because she she played that she wanted you to do i'm not i I honestly don't know i mean i think because i was the first kid yeah um i got that push uh i also know that uh my dad would have loved to have played music for a living yeah uh just it wasn't in the cards and and you can say that about a lot of guys from that 
age group because there weren't that many opportunities, right? Yeah. And and uh, was my dad good enough? I, I can't say that. I, he wasn't as a singer. He he would have loved to have been a guitar player. Yeah. Um, so he he really appreciated and and was happy that that's what I was doing. Um, so he could kind of, you know, that 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 did make him. Um, did make him happy but it, see it's funny too i i got thinking of this the other earlier in our conversation because you were talking about playing fiddle yeah so i told you about my childhood growing up and playing music well i used to ride bikes with a kid um between the i was like five to eight years old because that he lived across the street from me for three years we were the same age rode bikes together blah 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 and my dad would go over and every once in a while and i go with him and because i'm playing with him uh, it, this this friend of mine, and my dad would jam with this fiddle player, um, and it was kind of boring for me. Just saying, because I'm yeah, this old country stuff they were doing. Um, anyway, my buddy's name that I played with was Beckett. So the the grandpa was uh, yeah. the guy that started the whole. Beckett family, family thing and then uh, Lindsay and uh, well I, it was their dad that I was riding bikes with yeah yeah and wow. it, it's kind of like Tyler and Lindsay right yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and amazing you know third generation uh, I seem to be surrounded by fiddle players so this is gets even more interesting is I think then on the weekends we'd go to Fergus and that's where my my, my mom was from Fergus my dad was from Alora yeah and my mom's best friend in high school was her maid of honor and was is my godmother uh, is Carolyn Woods. Oh, no way. Yeah. And so Scott Woods, th- that, that, yeah, I mean, I I'm just surrounded di- by fiddle players. You know what I'm saying? I just had dinner with Scott two nights ago. Uh, yeah. We, we sat and chatted for three hours. I thought we should have done a podcast. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> well, and, and, and so we would go on Sundays and there would be jamming going on. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, Scott, phenomenal uh, musician. Yeah. His sisters, Elizabeth and Kendra, could blow them away. Yeah. I mean, I, I said that. Can I say that on air? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was kind of interesting. I'm saying that now. Like, Scott's an amazing player. Yeah. And, and went on to play. And Kendra's now playing with him with, in the show. Yeah, yeah I saw them. Uh, he invited me out this summer to see the show. They were in Cambridge, mm-hmm. and it was really great. And we had, uh, well, that was nice because uh, for Christmas, this past Christmas, uh, we went over to Kendra's house yeah. and, and had uh, a nice dinner because we, we, my mom hadn't seen Carolyn Jeeperson. I'm going to say seven or eight years. So it was a nice sort of reunion for those two girlfriends. Yeah, and Scott's mom, I saw her at the concert, and I hadn't seen her in ages. And years ago, uh, you know, I haven't been in a fiddle contest since I've been 12, mm-hmm. but she used to, the odd time, play piano for yeah. me. As, you know, you oh. always go, you'd show up the fiddle contest, you need a piano player. And, and uh, she was one that uh, at one point backed me up and, and uh, I remember, you know, you remember those ones, you know, it, it was pretty neat when you, all these years and, and then, uh, everyone's still kind of working and making it work. Well, yeah. And Carolyn, his, yeah, that you're talking about, I, I think played up till a year ago yeah. in, in, uh, Scott's, Scott, yeah. yeah. So she was still, still playing. Yeah. So going back to, uh, learning your instruments and, mm-hmm. and singing and started Right. You remember your first song, obviously, probably, right? Uh, yeah, I couldn't play it, but I... I um, yeah. Goodbye, love. Uh, anyway. Do you ever think about trying to piece it back together again? Well, not that one, but I, I, there's a, I have a book that I kept that, that yeah. was just the lyrics and chords. Um, but World of a Child I wrote when I was 18, and that was my first single. Yeah. Um, in 
when I was what, 21? Um, yeah, about around that. That was that was when I got to know Rick, yeah. Rick Hutt. Uh, and that was courtesy of uh, uh, Dick Nectel, uh in uh, out of, well, I'm going to say Dick was in Walkerton-ish because that's, and he was the guru, right? Yeah. He was like the, the dude up in that area. And when I was talking to him, he found out I was going to go to college in Kitchener. And he said, well, you know who you need to look up is Rick Hutt. He's, he's a Palmerston guy. Yeah. And, uh, that's right. Palmerston. Yeah. And so I did, I literally went over, I found out where Cedar tree was. I called, yeah. um, and just showed up and interested. Hi. Well, we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to Cedar tree cause there's lots there to talk about. Oh yeah. But before that, um, <clears throat> you, you entered the, the London, was it the, oh. was it the youth talent? Uh, what was it actually called well, back see, then? See, the interesting thing is that I, I had, I had, uh, known Rick before that, yeah. like, cause I was in college last year, college, um, was the Western fair yes. youth talent search. Was that post after meeting with Rick? Yeah. Cause yeah. we, I, that was during my third year of college. Okay. Um, and cause I was, I was 21 actually when I, when I won that contest. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty neat. And that, you know, that kind of, I remember that oh. being, that was a big, big deal back then. Well, it, 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 it changed my life. Uh, that, that sounds you know, interesting, melodramatic to say. But what happened was I was going to be, I don't know if I've ever said this in an interview, I was going to be the youngest general manager of a mid-market radio station that there ever has been. I I figured I could maybe do it by the age of 35, which was ridiculous, right? I loved radio. I really, it it excited me. And this is like demographics. And, and, and you know, I I hosted a lot of shows. I was on air, but I I really wanted to pick the music and... Yeah. And just anyway, I still have that as a, uh, a an odd goal. But I went to Western Fair and I won that contest, and and that sent me down to Memphis. And it, when I went down there, I came second in that competition. So basically, winners from all over yeah. Canada, United States, from Go. from all these were they mostly um, from the fairs? Yes, they, yeah. they were. They were. They were. There was a bunch of people that came from different fairs in the south. It was regions. Yeah, uh, and then we sent a uh, uh, person from Western Fair and the Calgary Stampede. Okay, yeah. that was the two uh, Canadian contingents, and and so it gave me some some uh, again uh, money to use by winning or coming in second down there, but I played in front of five thousand people in an arena with an amazing band, yeah. and I I'd never done that before and getting the response from the audience it honestly was the first time in my life being on stage I went wow maybe I could do this and I didn't uh it wasn't a self-doubt thing it wasn't any of that it was just really I was going to work in radio I went to college for that uh play music on the side and that was just like wow and then they offered me a gig that was the uh the, that was the closer. Was that they offered me to sing at a? a, a, a I was sang at a show at Liberty Land down in in Memphis, okay. which would be the equivalent of Canada's Wonderland. Yeah, we did a, you know, two guys, two girls sang a medley of. The show was forty five minutes long. Yeah. We clogged, believe it or not. Oh, cool. I had to learn to, <laughs> to step well, that's dance. A there. Hey, yeah. um, and and it was it was great. I did the park announcements on the side, and I I, I ended up doing. See, I, I did a lot of studio stuff. Um, while I was down there as well, just a couple of connections I had, and and now uh, there was a, a jingle factory mm-hmm. 
and I can this here we'll go back to my parents again I can actually read music so courtesy of them pushing me doing that um, there was uh, they had three guys and three girls at this jingle factory uh, and I would do I would come in after hours and do jingles for them right the the top ups the the lap ups kind of thing and yeah. and uh, and so two guys were leaving so I had that gig I had a full time job at a jingle factory um, after my thing in Memphis had ended at the yeah. theme park right so I go back to Canada uh, once we get back to weekends uh, like in September to uh, audition for a CBC TV show mm-hmm. didn't get the TV show went to go back down to the states and they wouldn't let me back over because uh-huh. I didn't have the right documentation yeah. I was actually kind of kind of working down there I didn't have the actual green card yeah so that changed my life a little bit too because yeah. I had that gig waiting and I loved Memphis just yeah. still do um, but then I ended up coming back to Canada and won the BX93 contest which gave me more money to record yeah um, and just kept moving you know so <clears throat> when you're in the the Western Fair was Annie Eady part of that at that time mm-hmm. yeah and we're still friends good yeah Yeah, she's i sort of so sweet i consider her sort of she's my second mom like i I lived with her and jim uh for three years in belmont um tell her i said hello next time you see her oh i will yeah we uh at at one point that fair competition turned into um a canadian thing that uh myself and a friend of mine jay allen used to produce the finals for and so every year so the winners from London, Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, and all those <laughs> ones would get together at mm-hmm. the annual um, uh, Canadian Association Affairs Exhibition Conference. And uh, it's funny, now you look at, you know, the contest back then. I mm-hmm. remember one year, uh, one of the contestants for from Vancouver was Michael Buble. There you go. And in the same year, uh, uh, Courtney, Courtney Wilson from Meet the Wilsons, when she was living in air, she was, I think she represented London. Um, and there was someone else in that year that was, ended up being, mm-hmm. you know, really big. I so. remember Courtney recording here. Yeah. I, that was, that was, that was kind of cool. And, and, and it was, I got to know her, I think even predating that was Ann Edie again, yeah. uh, through the Western Fair had mentioned, I got to, you got to see this girl. It's like, oh, yeah, Courtney okay. used to come here. We used to basically, uh, do, we did a bit of recording, but it was more, vocal lessons right and for some reason i ended up doing a lot of those for younger newer singers and um i talked i think i talked about this with cliff a little bit we used to take them in the studio and run them through basically like a recording session Mm -hmm. and we get some tracks together and we'd run songs and um and courtney was always really 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 great and but there's always something that wasn't quite there yet and i remember the day that it clicked mm-hmm. and there was just that one moment right and I, I talked with cliff it was it's when you're young it's hard to uh to find something to relate to when you're singing a song and you can you know you know what that's all about mm-hmm. is you're singing a ballad or you're singing anything there's something when you're young you can sing really well but it's like i just don't believe you yet right there's something that's just not mm-hmm. there and we worked and we worked and we worked and it worked and there was one day it finally clicked with her and it was just all of a sudden someone hit the light switch and i was like ah there it is and uh 
it was really cool. I, I, I feel it was a neat to be a part of that. Cause you could, you could just, and from then on, she, mm-hmm. she figured it out. You know, it was like from then I was like, okay, you don't need me. <laughs> you figured it out. Well, yeah. And, and singing in the studio is different. Mm-hmm. You, you, you really do have to listen. And yeah. it is that simplistic. Uh, and you got to get used to, and, and, and not everybody can. You got to get used to headphones. You yeah. got to get used to the tone. You have to get used to mic proximity and still be an artist, right? Yeah, it's all but, of a sudden you, oh my God, I can hear myself so well. I know. And yeah, so you have, yeah. to get, you have to get used to hearing yourself. You have yeah. to get used to listening. Uh, and sometimes people don't like to hear their voice, right? Like they don't, you know. And so there is a, there is a, an imbalance that becomes to find that little balance thing that you're talking about that eventually it's like oh there we go boom the tough thing is not even delivering it's about being able to i used to try to teach this too is try to listen back and tell me what's wrong about what you did Mm -hmm. be able to critique yourself or listen to yourself saying and figure out what you are doing wrong Mm -hmm. or what or what you could improve upon not necessarily what you're doing wrong but what you could Mm -hmm. do better and that's just as much of a skill as delivering it because you have to know what right. to do to make it better. Well, see, and there's the, the interesting thing because I, I went to broadcasting school. Yeah. And in that school, you had to do tapes, right? Like you, you had to do on-air shifts and then sit down with somebody and listen to yourself. And nobody likes to hear their voice, no. even in speaking. But the thing is that I, was, I had that focus or I was taught to listen to yourself. And so I didn't have to be schooled on that aspect of singing in the studio. Yeah, because um, you, you figured yeah. that out already. But it does take, it takes a, a while to figure, like, I mean, that, yeah, it took me, like, I think I sang well from the, from the get-go, but it took a couple albums to, to get, like, you know, to find, where I could just find the tone I wanted, the artistry, yeah. instantly. And be able to just go there. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it does take, it, and it doesn't mean... Doesn't demean the first the records I made in the beginning. Uh, they're fine. Uh, it just it took me. It took it takes everybody. I think a while. Now it's interesting. You brought up uh, Michael Bublé. So I, I came in second of that that Memphis talent show. Yeah. Uh, and then ten years later, they brought me down to judge. Oh yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool, right? Yeah. So I went back to Memphis. 10 years later to judge the talent show. Now it is a talent show like, cause you have jugglers, you have comedians. It's, it's Never not a singing me. competition. It yeah. is a talent show. And so this kid, I told you they send people from London and from Calgary. So this kid was on the show, tall, skinny kid. Uh, he was about 19 at the time and had a cowboy hat and his name was Paul Slipwicky. Um, now, unfortunately, Paul I think ended up out of 20 acts was sort of in the center. Um, he had an interesting voice, but again, he was actually, there is a segue cause he was finding his voice. He wasn't quite there. It was Paul Brandt. Oh, great. Uh, and that was his original name. And, and so it, that was, you know, fascinating to see, you know, I, I, every once in a while you, you catch somebody in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's great. And you go back to, uh, the BX, Mm-hmm. competition and i remember working i think yeah i played with beverly yep on that one uh-huh. and that was a big deal for her too um and that was a big contest too that the bx 93 contest kind of gave you a chance to get some recording done well it, it had a big prize money yeah. you know and and what that was, was it do you remember yes it was uh well i mean it changed a little bit but it, i think originally we got uh it was five thousand dollars so it was 2500 each yeah. for the winners and then i think that graduated to three thousand dollars each 
um, which was, you know, was about the cost of a single. Yeah. <laughs> in the old days, right? So was it to be used uh, for recording a single, right? No, or, no you, you, could, it, you, you could, could, could do whatever you yeah. wanted with it. Um, but that's probably what they but, hoped you would oh, do. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I certainly did. Yeah. And, and then, you know, then in turn, they played the song on yeah. on the radio. The other the other funny story, because you, you got me uh, rethinking time-wise, is that, so I, so I, I, okay, so I'm in Memphis. And while I'm in Memphis, I take a trip to Nashville because mm-hmm. uh, I just figured I, I should do that, right? Because they're three hours apart. And, and, and got to, to, you know, walked around Music Row and I dropped off a couple of uh, tapes, believe it or not. And so then the one girl was interested. Her name was Paige Levy at Warner Brothers. Uh, and so we started talking and, and, and now there's no internet. Mm-hmm. So she had this original tape that I, of tunes of mine at Cedar Tree. And then I come back to Canada. And so through mail, she would like some more stuff. So this time around, we sent them Take Me Home, Mississippi, which was a, a big hit of mine in 85. Yeah. And so sent them more stuff down. And so what that meant was the record company was actually interested in me. Like they, they were, you know, looking at me and uh, especially when they asked for more music. And so they listened to it and they said, well, uh, I think Doug Big still has the letter. Uh, it said, we're going to pass on Jamie. Um, we wish him all the best. We really like his music, but we're going to go in a different direction um, yeah. and, uh, and, and stylistically. And so they signed Randy Travis instead. Oh, wow. So he did okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, uh, and that was, see, there's the transition of styles, right? Sure. Not, not just between Randy and I, and I'm a huge fan of his, uh, is that about 85, it was about 86, is that's when Ricky Skaggs, uh, Randy Travis, uh, country music from the mid 80s to the end of the 80s got really traditional. Yeah. Uh, and that was when I got sort of the tap on the shoulder saying, uh, I don't think you're country, buddy. It's yeah. like, okay. And, uh, and then I, I, I kept playing clubs and uh, recorded with Rick every once in a while. And, and, and here's a, uh, Craig Bignall. I had a coffee with Craig Bignall, uh, great drummer, great musician, yeah. um, about 1993. And that's when he said, you know that stuff you were doing? Because Craig used to play in my band in the 80s. Yeah. And he said, you know that stuff that you're doing? I, I think that might be country again. I'm going, Really? And that's when I started paying more attention, and then Rick and I started recording again, and uh, then that's when I got signed in uh, in Nashville to River North, which was Mercury in Canada, about yeah. '95. But yeah, because it because there's Garth and Shania, right, and Billy Ray Cyrus. It was like, yeah, okay, there pop goes the country. It's like, hey, Jamie's back. Yeah, spot for you now. Well, and then, it, and then, and there's the part of the story too that's interesting. Is in 1985, I won Country Music's New Artist of the Year. Yeah. 1995, I was nominated for the exact same award. Oh, yeah. So I guess <laughs> you can be new again. <laughs> I didn't win at that time. Some bastard by the name of Julian Austin won it, but whatever. <laughs> I call him hooligan. And by the way, we're Julian and I are, are good friends. Yeah. I, can, I can tease him. So going back after uh, BX and stuff, and actually at that time, um, let's get into chatting with uh, you beginnings with, with Cedar Tree and... Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listening who don't know, Cedar Tree is a uh, and was a um, a fantastic recording studio mm-hmm. in Kitchener, yep. um, and owned by uh, Rick Hutt and Doug Biggs. Um, and 
I still remember because I worked there for quite a few years. I remember plainly a couple things. Um, for some reason, I, w- I was finishing up high school, mm-hmm. and I wanted to. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a recording engineer. That's that's what was big on my list, and I and I had we had our studio here at the house already. So I, I already recorded an album or two of my own and, and had been sort of new stuff. Right. Right. So I kind of figured going to school, I might, you know, the first year I might, you know, might be a little boring. I might be already into the second year or whatever already, whatever the thought was there. So the thought was maybe I should try to get myself into a studio Mm -hmm. and try to learn that way. Well, I started calling Rick, and I don't know who told me to call Rick. Uh, I wish I could remember um, what advice I got there, but it came from somebody. And, of course, you know, before email and mm-hmm. text messaging and all that. And one thing I plainly remember is, if you can remember, calling Rick is one of the busiest guys <laughs> in the industry. Uh-huh. And actually getting to talk to Rick on the phone was next to impossible. And I would call and I was persistent. And almost all the time he'd, you know, he'd maybe if by chance he'd pick up the phone, he'd be in the middle of something. Yeah. And he'd, he'd say, yeah, give me a few minutes. And he'd put the phone down and I sit there and listen. <laughs> and almost all the time I'm listening to Jamie Warren music oh. and he's working on your stuff. Okay. And I remember that playing this day and I'm like 15, 16, wow. 15. I'm old. And, uh, so it would have been, you know, whatever you were working on at the time. And I was like, I would sit there and listen and uh-huh. be like, wow, listen to that. And it's like, they're actually recording, you know, it was, yeah, like, yeah. It was really exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember, it was most of the time when I was calling, it was uh, your music. Oh, that's funny. And uh, the other thing that I think that hap- happened at one point, and maybe this had the connection of why I started calling Rick, but we had our, the family had our live, the Stampy Corral TV show on mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, I played that. You were on, yeah. you were a guest. Yeah. And you guys were trying to finish up could have been take me home mississippi i'm trying to remember what song okay. it was you were it was hadn't even gone to air yet or you were just trying to finish it up um because you're going to be on the show and i remember for some reason that i remember uh that whole scenario and i think you just got the master done um got it recorded just in time right to go the on the tv show and maybe and maybe that's the reason i ended up calling Rick at that point and maybe you guys were working on maybe that all makes sense that right. from the TV show I you know learned about Rick and and because you were coming on you guys were getting that song together uh, but the two things specifically I remember all the time is is doing the TV show and you cramming to get the song done that's funny um, do you think it would take me home Mississippi would that do it would that no I mean well, oh, if you give me a year um, 86 Six eighty-seven in there. Oh, you know what? Then mm-hmm. it might have been because Mississippi was eighty-five. Okay, so it might have well, been, been. Could it could have been uh, too good to be true? No, uh, it could have been eighty-five though too. Yeah, it could have been. Okay. With, oh, yeah. I'm terrible with well, years. See, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, that if it was take me on Mississippi and and that uh, uh, 
that's funny because it made me because the 80s was an interesting time from a recording standpoint because there was a lot of computer drums like yeah. it, that had just surfaced and rick had uh, his dx7 synth that we used uh, that harmonica sound on take me home mississippi yeah. it was a very unique sound then um but you know and and then uh it's interesting uh, i'm going to want to jump ahead to uh, r- remind me about ready to run yeah. what i wanted to say is it was always cool seeing the amount of recording engineers and producers that are now producers pardon me that went through the studio yeah you, be, you being one uh doing really well and and lloyd walker uh andy and yeah. like i mean it just was the who's who of you know you get a year of uh jason barry yeah. right like oh, yeah. you know it's just uh it's cool um so no the story i wanted to tell was uh, like Rick well I'll tell two stories one was getting to know him when I was in college is he was always working like it's crazy and he would go without sleep for days oh, I know, yeah. and, like and, and and it's it was weird I remember speaking of which it was world of a child very first song we did and I remember he's he fell asleep in the chair he was playing the mix back and I had to reach over and press stop yeah and wait and that's when <laughs> okay, so he that. fell asleep he totally like you could hear him Hear him almost snoring, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll listen one more time. It was okay. <laughs> I but swear I, that happened to me a few times too, uh, where you'd just be mixing and he's so tired and you just like, you uh, get to the end of the song and it's just like. Well, oh, and then, Rick. and here's the thing is you had to make sure, yeah, you had to stop because with tape, once the tape went off, it's like, oh, yeah. you got to rethread it all over, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, well, what, what I was going to say was the, we did Ready to Run. Um, which was kind of was the first single when I came back in the 90s and uh, and so we were mixing that song and and you know too in the old days with with two inch tape and and all Rick's he likes extra tracks and and you got to mix up and it stayed up for at least two days yeah because because once you tore it down you weren't going back in to tweak it it was there's your mix so we were had everything <laughs> going and I heard the loudest F-bomb in the studio. And we're all running, what's the matter? It's like, there's no guitar solo. We had no guitar solo. He forgot to put one on. Oh. So, <coughs> excuse me. So what we did was, Doug and I went out for dinner. Mm-hmm. We left him alone because he was a little mad. Uh, but also that he, he had to, he's a keyboard player. Yeah. But he's actually a guitar player, but he didn't play guitar that much. So he did the guitar solo himself. And then there's a cool DX Tyne sound, like a, a keyboard on top of the notes he played yep. to kind of, it sounds cool uh, and it works, but it was to sort of hide his solo. Yeah. And that's where it came. And it's one of the coolest moments in the tune, but it was one of those things where he just he went, ah, it was like he forgot about it. And so it, I don't know why that story just reminded me, but there's a couple things that, you know, when you're young and you, you're working, you're working long hours and working with Rick, you've, you know, obviously you made mistakes. There's one, one thing I did and I, I could never, I still don't, I don't forgive myself for this one, but I can't remember whose album, I think it was Terry Odette or something. We're working on his album and, uh, Rick had left me to do something. I think we're doing guitar overdubs or something. So you look at, you know, you got the track listing, (laughs) you know, everything you got this piece of paper with 24 tracks and you write down the track one had to kick stuff like that and yeah. so i look okay yep channel 11 yep i got channel 14 all right and i just start recording well sure enough rick was in all night the night before 
doing background vocals mm. and didn't, didn't write, write anything on the track sheet. <laughs> yeah. I recorded over all of them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah. And, and Rick came in and, and we, he says, uh, yeah, so uh, where would you record those tracks? And I just, and then we both realized that, you know, what happened. And I still to this day feel awful. I mean, well, it wasn't really my fault. I mean, it was. It was both wow. of our faults, right? But man, I felt bad. And, you know, it's one of those things I, I've carried that with me forever. Um, well, that, yeah. that's, you know, that's that's how things go. Oh, I, know. I mean, I, I remember getting a call. I was playing Seaforth, uh, a bar at the time, and, I, and it was on a payphone. I had to take this call from Doug Biggs because yeah. he needed to talk to me. So, oh, what was I called back, sorry, from a payphone. And he said, yeah. I got some bad news. And now I'm thinking, what? You know, it's like, um, I, I was, anyway, I recorded over your lead vocal. <laughs> and, I went, and I went, oh, okay. Well, I'll come back and sing it. Yeah. Yeah. So he felt, he did the same thing. It was just like, it you got know, done doing a lot, over, actually, by uh, a mistake. Yeah. Or you'd, and, in a hurry, you'd maybe throw a harmony part on. Sure. It's one little track, and so you'd start the tape, and you you listen, or sometimes you look at it for a minute or two. Is that yep? There's nothing on here. Sure, but there was something later on. <laughs> oh yeah, well, and yeah, yeah, that was the and then with the old two inch tape, um, it, it was a little trickier. Yeah, too. I mean, in terms of because uh, we used to do mixes. I mean, this is probably going to be boring to tell this story, but we right we you, you went with the lead vocal and comps, which are so easy these days with digital domain yeah. so we i do six lead vocals right so you'd have let's say track one through six was my lead vocal yeah. and we'd have a lyric sheet and so rick would have track one and two the fader one and two yeah i would have three and four doug would have five and six yeah and so we knew so you could go you know if i could take one step back like you, you'd be you'd be pulling up different levers yeah. right and so together You'd then take those six tracks and c move to number seven and create the lead vocal yeah. out of that comp, and it was like it was like a little orchestra dance dance yeah. thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still like to comp like that, yeah, because that's the way I learn. I still like bringing a bunch of tracks up on faders, and you know, I'll go through and I'll mark off, you know, listen to this one, I'll listen to this one, listen to this one for a verse, whatever, and pick out my parts. And I still like flipping so, between yeah. faders. Oh wow! I'll, I'll cut when I want to. Yeah. But I find there's something when you're doing a quick because it's still a crossfade of yeah. some sort, right? It's not a hard cut, or I mean, you can still do a crossfade on it. But I find I'm as fast or faster doing it that way wow. than it is just sitting there with the computer and clipping and cutting and jumping back and forth. I mean, I'll I'll do a hybrid of the two, but I, I mean, I think because that's the way I learned. That's I feel super comfortable yeah. that way, but uh, it, it, it's, I mean, obviously if you look at my console now, there's no faders. Um, it's all on the screen. You can, I can't do it now actually, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny how when you learn something a certain way, well, it stays with you, even though there could be a better way to do it. If it's something you're really comfortable mm -hmm. with and you know, and you did it, I don't know how many comps you end up doing in your lifetime, but yeah, sure. you, you get good doing a certain way and that's what you're comfortable with. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny, technology, um, in terms of, of uh, microphones and guitar amps and guitars and instruments, 
there has not been a breakthrough mm-hmm. in 50 years, right? Like, I mean, they, now, and I, I guess that you can show an exception to that. I mean, the, the, you can, I guess the, you, you have now a, a sampling system, but you're still sampling the amps from 50 years ago or the, yeah. or the microphones, right? Um, they haven't upped the ante on the actual technology. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, to me. Anyway. Yeah, if you take old school equipment, that's what everyone still wants to record on. Mm-hmm. You still want to record on the old mics. You think with all the technology nowadays um, that you'd be able to make a better violin from in the Stradivarius, or you could mm-hmm. make, uh, you know, a better tube preamplifier than right. it did. You know, why can't why can't you make an old Neve preamp? like they did back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You should be able to do that, but they did it right back then. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons, a little, you know, reasons yeah. why, but you think there are, you know, everything's really good now. I mean, there's, sure. it's hard, but you know, it's that old stuff that everyone wants. Well, it, it, it technology peaked. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's certain elements of it. Uh, what's What's gotten, what has peaked and continues to peak is the organization of the tech, you know, the tech, Technology, yeah. um, of taking the sounds and putting them in different places. Uh, that part's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, how um, quickly you can go to a sound and find the exact sound you can through, you know, module or, or, or through uh, samples. Yeah. Right. That uh, instead of having to, you know, do the old school version of it, like find the actual guitar and the amp and. Yeah, like the player Kemper over there. That the Kemper, yeah. Profile, well, no, no, it's it's and you cool. Just band hit a switch. You can have any amp yep. you want in the world. And it, and it 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 it's never gonna be as good. No, but it's close enough. Yeah. Um. And and that's the thing with uh, technology and the internet. And I mean, it's the good news, bad news. The the good news is every anybody can make a record. The bad news is anybody can make a record. Yeah. And and it. Uh, so you know you got to be careful. Uh, with the technology and and make sure too that you are still I, I believe it still comes down to a good song and a good vocal uh, and a good arrangement yeah uh, and some good playing I mean that I don't believe that's ever going to change no uh, we go through fads we go through style changes uh, but but hey you know it's uh I think that's good and and that is uh you know what is there now won't be there too much longer yeah it, it, that it's just history has uh, has made that a point and 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 I, I another thing too just something that I'd impart and, and it was at a songwriter event years ago uh, where somebody had said uh, you realize that uh, every song you hear on the radio is at least two years old and it was interesting when it was said I was going huh but nobody else focused on it, right? They just moved on to the next yeah. thing. That's interesting. And it is interesting because what it is, is, and where that comes from is that uh, you write the song, then you've got to pitch the song to the yeah. artist, right? Sometimes the artists write their own songs, I get that, but then it, it has to be arranged, and then you do a demo, and then, then it gets recorded. Now, your album, if you're on a label, you, you know you can't just release a single instantly, yeah. which is starting to change. But you know you got to wait behind three other artists, so that whole process takes two years. So what you're hearing on the radio now, and you want to imitate uh, or emulate, you have to realize that somebody else somewhere else has written the new new version of that, 
And yeah. by the time you write and record yours and get it out there to match what's on there, you're going to be behind. And so ultimately, um, I, I think it's, it's always good to research your competition, meaning just listen to the radio, yeah. see what's going on, um, but also be authentic and, and make sure that you're not just copying something that... Yeah, because by the time if, you, if you're trying to copy what's happening now, okay, I'm going right. to write this song or try to copy this style, as you're, you're correct, by the time it gets out there, that right. style is probably gone. Sure. It's, in, it's fascinating. That's, you never really think about it that way. And, and, and that's where I, I think sometimes, you know, how long has this version of music been going? And what I mean is that, okay, in country music, has it been, we were talking about earlier in the 80s where about 85, like I, I thought 1980 to 85, the music in country music was spectacular. Mm -hmm. It was in a lot of bands that, you know, Restless Heart, Southern Pacific, uh, Lyle Lovett was country, Katie Lang was country. Yeah. I mean, it, it was cool music. And then it shifted to, to more traditional. I love Ricky Skaggs and Randy Travis. Yeah. But it, it switched, right? And yeah. then it came back uh, after another five or six years to what evolved into Billy Ray and Shania. So there's always a, a, an ebb and flow. And so it seems to be... Now, that apparently there's a 19-year cycle mm -hmm. for specific styles of music. But what I seem to find, and I didn't write a book or anything, but it seems to be five or six years. There seems to be, uh, now it doesn't mean that it flops on its side or on its back, but yeah. it does seem to adjust. And, and so that's what I'm saying is that if you're getting into a cycle of music that you're in year three or four, you might want to just be aware of what I'm saying, is that you know by the time your record comes out, uh, and and this is another thing for any artist. I, I don't know why people would do 10 songs the same. If you get to do 10 songs, I don't have a problem with all, or with, with doing six the same. Uh, maybe seven, but I, I, let's go with six. And what I mean by that is singles for the radio, that's great. But don't be afraid to go left or right of that. Like, give me something... Give me, give me a heavy metal country song. I'm being serious. And then uh, give me a, a, a fiddle, traditional roots country song. Yeah. As long as they're, like, it'll fit. Um, but it gives you a place to go. It gives you also an opportunity to be authentic. Yeah. Um, show a different side of you. And you might even be ahead of the curve when it hits there. It's like, oh, I have one of those. Here you go. Do you think now that the younger generation are listening to albums? Like, all the way through like when you, you know you can go back to mm -hmm. let's go back to these when you got that southern pacific album or the rest is hard album you listened to that sure whole album yep. you didn't care what the you know the next single was you didn't know right. you listened to that whole thing i think that has changed a bit because i think you know there's a lot of people who just download the single or they're yep. they're listening to uh you know spotify or satellite radio whatever and and they're picking their genre they like mm -hmm. and listening to but it's i don't think they listen to a full album like they used to. i think they still do there's certain people who do but i don't think they listen to a full album like they used well, to. well what i'd say to that is is yeah you're you're correct um i think that it we are single driven we mm -hmm. are download one track driven as opposed to downloading an entire record now that doesn't mean that people there are some people who download a whole album but with Spotify and with, this is interesting for me, resurfacing with a new record. 
uh, it's been five years for me. Yeah. Uh, iTunes did exist five years ago. Um, CD Baby existed five years ago, but the streaming system didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating to me. So, and, and satellite radio did exist, but not in the way it does right now. Yeah. Apple Music. Uh, you know, it's, so, so what people are doing, I think, are, are hearing album cuts accidentally. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're finding eclectic, interesting music on Spotify and on these streaming services and downloading that. And so what I, as an example, um, our album isn't out yet. And I've got, I'm going to release four singles to radio. We're on the second one right now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to shoot videos for other songs on my record in the way I did for the Father's Day uh, one I did, uh, the song about my dad. We had 70,000 views yeah. on Facebook. So see, and and there's no way that song would work at radio. Mm-hmm. It, it's too rootsy, laid back, story kind of thing. Um, but people want. You know, obviously, somebody liked it. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is that that that, that not radio thing um, is also working right now. There's there's kind of a uh, a B market for interesting, eclectic, cool music. Yeah. And so, th- th- to me, those would be called the album cuts, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, somebody's finding those things. But you are correct in your, your original statement that people are s- single-driven. Yeah, you, know, you don't get that chance to really sit through. I, I, you know, I remember finishing albums and used to sit for so long thinking about what order I'm going to put the songs in on this album. Oh yeah, and oh, we're doing a, that now. It was a big deal. Yeah, I know. What do we put first? What do we put second? What's yeah. and it's like, does it matter? And, and it, it's funny because I've always put a lot of thought into that, and always wanted it to flow a certain way. Mm. And then, you know, a year or two later, you put the album, and you don't think about that at all. I mean, or you'll skip a song that you know you don't like, and right. and I think there's always part of me that's like, yeah, I think this is really important, and then there's another part that says. Does it really matter? I mean, because sometimes you get, you're so deep into the songs at that point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that translates to a regular listener or not, but I still want to believe it does. I, I would like to believe it does. Yeah. I, I think that um, what is in their playlist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a up-tempo cool tune followed by a rootsy Celtic tune followed by a, and I think that is the case. Yeah. Um, and and then sometimes I'm wrong. Maybe it's they're just all current up tempo something. And uh, for me too, that that space in between songs was a big deal. Some people wanted five, six, seven seconds in between mm-hmm. songs. I hated that. That's I want long. that. I want that next song to come pretty quick because I yep. didn't want anyone to sit there and go, eh, okay, it's cool. You know, give yeah. them a chance to. But I was. I remember back even in Cedar Tree when we we're in certain clients would would want a lot of space and it drove me crazy but that's just what the way they well, liked and, it and, and that's what we're doing right now i mm-hmm. I, I sat through i, I gave uh, patrick duffy who's doing the artwork i gave him he knew that the title of the record it's called uh, uh there's a story to that it's called all the above um it's i and um and so i i looked at all the tunes and i have four bonus cuts there's 15 songs on this record 11 mm-hmm. new ones and then four bonus tracks and so that and that's the order. The the the, the four bonus tracks will follow the eleven songs. Yeah. But those eleven songs, I did. I I looked at tempo. I looked at, and I put them in an order that 
seem to make sense. Now, Rick is, is we're, we're just finishing up different mixes and stuff like that. And, and so he's, he's compilated the actual order. Yeah. So he's now going to do, uh, he'll send it to me, but he's going to listen to it in the way you would. Uh, I think that will probably be okay uh, in the order that I picked, mm-hmm. but does it flow? Yeah. Right? Uh, and what are the spaces between all the songs? Is it, as you're saying, is it, is it, it won't be five or six seconds, but is it a second and a half, you know? Um, and, and, it, and I, I think that's, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, uh, the thing I learned back in the day when, you know, you're in the studio and you would fade, you know, a song would fade out mm-hmm. and it would come and then it's done. And then you wait whatever time you want and then to get the next song. So you have it all timed out. And then you realize lots of times when it get when it's getting played, you might be in an environment that's noisy or there's other stuff going on or you're in your car or there's right. road noise. So that point where the song is fading out, it may be at the point where you don't hear it anymore. But if you're in a quiet studio, there's still another two, three seconds of fade out left. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, I, I remember this happening where I got in my car, I was driving, all of a sudden it's like, I don't remember leaving that much space in between these songs. Yeah. But it was just that you couldn't really hear the music anymore because all the ambient noise around you was drowning sure. it out. But there was still another two, three seconds there of fade out. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense now. I got to think about that when you, yeah. you fade out. There's little, these tiny little things that people have no idea that you spend a lot of time at. And probably no one had any idea in you know where that song fades and where that last little note just disappears is really important. Well, see so, you now, and here's uh, the title of albums. Uh, I've mm-hmm. I've taken that's the last decision I make um, in in the record process because yeah. I, I like to sort of look at the titles, think about the titles, and uh, and and this one is called All of the Above, and it's a song called All of the All of the Above Kind of Love. And, and it, it's the fourth cut. And the reason it's the fourth cut is I'm using letters. Uh, so it's D, mm-hmm. all of the above. And it's the answer I give to most life questions uh, in my industry arts class, in my songwriting class. The one answer you can always count on is D, all of the above. Yeah. Because there's exceptions to every rule. If I'm teaching you, I'm going to have to, and I apologize for this, I'm going to have to, um, you know, to to get to a point, um, I, I need to not be specific. I lost my word there, Darren. Um, I, I, I have to generalize in order to teach you. Yeah. And, 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 and the stipulation with that is be advised. There's always exceptions to these rules I'm going to give you. Uh, so that, that was just, I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, maybe I have way too much time on my hands, but no, I good. thought D, all of the above, was yeah. kind of a interesting title for a record and we're using letters instead of numbers oh yeah yeah that's cool yeah well i mean i like that (laughs) why does it have to be numbers i mean well yeah exactly someone decided that a long time ago and everyone went along with it right so i'm bending i'm breaking i'm breaking the rules so is your approach now if you take back you look back and uh, (coughs) when you first started um recording and uh and rick has a certain style uh, always has. Is it? I've obviously worked with Rick a long time now. Um, but when you approach a song and start recording now, how different is it than when you did twenty years ago? Um, well, I, I'm way more prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that because uh, I, I would like to think I learn 
each time I, I record a song. And, and so what we do this time around, on this record in particular, I played all the acoustic guitars. I, we, I love demoing the songs with Rick. Yeah. And, uh, and usually our, our set policy is Rick and I demo the songs, um, and then we bring Steve Hogg in. Uh, not just to add a guitar or bass, but to get his arrangement connection. Yeah. Because uh, often, you know, it, it, he takes us to the next level or there's something that Rick and I haven't thought of yet. Yeah. Um, and, and what I've gotten better at is just the arrangement is farther along. Uh, like I've got background, answer background vocal parts and, and, and I'll, I'll sing the guitar part. Um, it, it'll be there on the phone demo. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just, you know, and I, and I really love arranging tunes. I love demoing songs. I think yeah. that that's, because that's, that's where you can be creative. And, and then as it goes along, it's like, then you really, you throw a drum loop in and, and change the tempo and it's like, whoa. Yeah. You know, and, and that's. There's no pressure when you're demoing. No, exactly. Because yeah. you're not, yeah, it's just, and that's, and that's funny too, is like, I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm a half decent guitar player. But it, it really came out of um, starting this project with no money. Yeah. Uh, is just that, well, I'm free. <laughs> so yeah. so I'll play the guitar. And Rick played a bunch of the guitars as well. I played a couple electric parts, and, and he did as well. So he's playing a lot more on this record than he's ever played on any of my records. That's awesome. And, and it was, yeah, and, and you know what it is? It's, it, it helps evolve the arrangement. And and if you really need it, it's kind of like you bring somebody else, a guitar player, and say, "Yeah, see this part, play that, but just do it better." Yeah, you know. Um, and we did keep a lot of Ricks. Like he played great, um, and it uh, it's 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 been fun. I mean, I enjoy making records with Rick. I, I always have, and and it, it I think it gets a little more fun. And I've got a second one. I've got four songs for the next record. I know this one isn't even done yet, but I always had in my head I I wanted to record two records. Um, okay. Yeah. And so the minute this one is pressed and out, I get together with Rick every Wednesday. That's our studio day. Yeah. Ten till two in the morning. Um, I'll start demoing for the next record. That's awesome. Because I've got. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just I'm in a good writing space, and I have been for a couple of years. And and I've written. I probably have about forty songs demoed. Now, when I say, bounce that number out there, those aren't for me. Mm-hmm. Like I've been writing with. I've got. Carrie and I have got 11 songs demoed with Rebecca Stevens. Uh, we had six with uh, with Brad James. I've got uh, uh, six or seven tunes with a couple of young artists that Bev is producing and working with, Bev yep. Mahood. Um, and, and just it, the, the list sort of goes on. It's There's a bunch of, it's about 35 songs. That's great. Yeah, and, and it, I've, I've just, I know I, I'm 57 years old and I, and I feel like in the last two years I'm, starting to hit my stride as a songwriter yeah um i I, i've always taken pride in my songwriting i i think i've always been a good songwriter um but i I just yeah i mean it's been fun so i'm just kind of i just keep going with a roll so what's what's your approach uh as your approach for writing songs changed or is it uh the same uh when you when you start and sit down and you have a spot you like to go well there's there's yeah there's there's a couple of different things one is that um i've been working with writing with other artists for their projects. So mm-hmm. that isn't brand new for me, but it's it's a different focus. Yeah. Um, what I will say, when I'm writing a song that I know is for me, it's a little different. Uh, as an example, Dwayne Steele and I have, over the years, uh, I've got a cut that, that he and I wrote for Brad James that's, that's gonna be on my new record. 
Um, Dwayne and I, uh, Thomas Wade's another one. I like to write with both those guys. Yeah. And so on Dwayne's record, you look at it, you'll probably find one or two Jamie Warren cuts and the same thing on my record. And, uh, and, but when I'm writing with Dwayne for his record, I give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that Dwayne has a tendency to be a little more traditional than me um, stylistically. Yeah. Um, and so a choice in a chord change or a choice in a melody or even maybe a more folksy lyric yeah. where I'm kind of going, well, but if he is really confident in it, I leave it. It's, yeah. it's because we're writing for his record. Conversely, writing for my record, uh, he lets me go um, a little more contemporary. Yeah. And, and so, and, and also now here's more information regardless of that, that when it is time for me to write my own record, like I, I noodle and keep ideas and, and at, I don't know what it is every two and a half years, three years. It's kind of like, I think I'm ready to write a record. And once I start, they seem to start flowing out. Um, and I have this stockpile of, uh, you know, guitar riffs, just sort of melody things that I've either got on a tape player or on a phone. And I start visiting that. <coughs> oh, sorry, I've got a cough. I start visiting the phone and it's time to, to, to record a record. And once I demo a couple of songs, that usually opens things up for me. Yeah. I, I, I've sort of figured out what stylistic approach I want to take. And then that allows me to finish the other songs. And, and it just sort of, because now I, I know what to do with them. I have these ideas. I don't know if that, but that's for me writing my own record, and and uh and it seems to work that way. And I like taking a year to make a record. Yeah, uh, that's the way Rick and I have developed our style. And what it means is I, I see him once a week, and and the cool thing is it allows me to live with what I just recorded. It allows me to write something new in between and record that, and go back and change it. And 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 I like that time in between mm-hmm. um i think because some people you know they they got all the tunes and they record a record in three four weeks yeah and, and there's nothing wrong with that yeah uh, i just like taking my time yeah so as far as approach to writing um are you a lyric guy first melody <laughs> guy or is it change um yeah, well, this is funny. Um, no, I'd say probably a melody guy first. Yeah, and and because I I often has that been like for a long time, or has that changed at, at any point? No, I mean lyrics are important. Yeah. I think that cheapers. Uh, See, Car- I often have this Carrie Demare. I she and I write a lot together, mm-hmm. and and it's like I always oh lyrics, lyrics. You know, I mean, yeah. I I like as we're writing. Sometimes I want to know the structure of the tune. Yeah, I, I, like there'll be some melody, and we'll have a hook line, right? Um, but uh, does it need a bridge? I want to know that first before I finish the second verse. Yeah, that's just sort of the way I roll. I like to know what three and a half minutes we're dealing with, because to me, if if okay, so you've got a great chorus, and you got a hook line, and you got a first verse. So so to me, okay, the, the second verse is going to be a half of the first verse. You know, we'll figure out those lyrics. Does it need a bridge? Does the bridge take it in a way, give it a cool lift or whatever? Because if you got a great chorus and a cool bridge or, or a, a, a place to go before you hear the chorus a third time, yeah. then the second verse doesn't mean that much. Mm-hmm. It's still important, yeah, but it takes some of the pressure off. And see, this is the thing is that with today's country music, because it is so melody 
and phrasing driven. Um, and it, it, the lyrics aren't as important. Yeah. There's still, you still have to tell a story yeah. and, and it's the English language that you need to tell the story, but it isn't, you know, and, and all, as deep as it no, used to be, or maybe that's not the right well, way to put it, but well, you know, uh, uh the way love goes, mm-hmm. a big hit for me. Uh, I wrote the music with Jason Berry and I wrote the lyrics with Mark Deneen. I knew we had the hook the way love goes, <clears throat> but we had the chord progression and the melody and the phrasing and no lyrics. Yeah. First. So that, that sort of, that was interesting. I don't do that all the time, by the yeah. way. Like I usually have something, as I'm singing, you're going to, you're not just going to go la la la, you know, I'm going to be using some words. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you, allow those words to gestate and, and evolve. Uh, that's, that's the way I rule. But if I was, if I had to pick, it would probably be melody and phrasing first. Yeah. Um, and then the lyrics applied afterwards. Yeah. It's funny how everyone's approach is different. You take some classic rock, uh, albums where, you know, you get like a, you know, something that's a little more heavier and they'll sit down, they'll lay the whole song down and then be like, okay, well, time for me to, uh, put the lyrics on and sing the song and they would write some lyrics and just sing the song. I mean, right. it was, that was so secondary, um, still important, but mm-hmm. it came right at the very end. I mean, right. there was, there was no lyrics there's, you know, there was, there was a riff, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and there was a chord progression and there was a chorus <clears> and there was a bridge, whatever there was. And, uh, and then you go and, and let that, the melody dictate what the lyrics are going to happen sure well in in some ways with writers these days what do you have that's different um because here's the thing with in terms of chord changes and chords it's finite right Mm -hmm. there's there's no new chords no um and there's and and there's no new words i know you can contradict that there's my d all the above the answer is that they add seven or eight words every year to the english to the dictionary right but for the most part a finite amount of words Mm -hmm. so They've been making music for hundreds of years, so what what can you do to make it different? Well, what you can do is you can change the melody mm-hmm. and the cadence, the phrasing. Yeah. And so I Love You is is you know, has existed forever and will be continued to use in song. Like but but is it like, you know, I love you, or is it I love you baby don't you know is it or is it i love you don't you love me too like see to me that's exciting yeah and and that's what's is the only thing left for contemporary writers yeah is to change that up and and that's why i think there's some pretty catchy and cool stuff that's on the radio has been for the last five years yeah the problem um is that it's the tempo is somewhere between 88 and 93. Yeah. Every song. Oh, I know. It's and like mid-tempo hell. I know. And and see, there's the sameness that mm-hmm. I don't like. But I appreciate where it's coming from. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is that internal rhymes, which, again, are cool, um, it, which comes to rap. You know, it, it, it influence. Um, you know, I want to say just a, hey, can we go play down the street? Right? Mm-hmm. Like that AAA thing. Um, now it's funny because you think, well, that's rap. That's really cool. That's new. I love little baby ducks. Dada when the cluck and sitting in a stuck in yeah. rain. I don't even know the right lyrics, but it's like uck uck uck. Yeah, it's Tom T Hall. Yeah, 
right from the 70s it's kind of like just rebirth yeah yeah it's kind of like well okay maybe that wasn't rap you know yeah (laughs) and and this is a thing sometimes too where even with contemporary country music and i used to use this in interviews that would would shock people it's it's and this is the first time actually they they asked me this question in the 80s and they asked me this question again in the 90s mm-hmm. what's this new country thing what's this new country thing where does it come from you know blah blah blah, blah. and i say well it's all merle haggard's fault yeah. and they look at me like i'm crazy well merle haggard's this traditional icon like what are you talking about it's like no no, no. you take merle haggard love his voice he's one of my heroes take Oki from Muskogee. take his three redneck songs out of his repertoire that we all know and love and look at the other 300 songs. And what he did was, he has a very traditional country voice, but he added some interesting chord changes. He added a four minor, he added a three minor. He, he took some changes that, that weren't just three chords. Yeah. And on top of it, he made, he did the, the, the phrasing thing that I was talking about earlier, the cadence thing, is that he, everybody else was four on the floor. Like, if, you know, uh, in his case, uh, rolling with the flow, Rolling where the lonely go. Now that's how any other country singer would have done that song. Yeah. And he does, rolling with the flow. Wait, wait. Rolling where the lonely go. Like, yeah. who does that? Well, that's yeah. that that's contemporary country music because he made it very conversational, and and that's the little cadence thing that's that to me is very pop goes the country, yeah. and he was great at it. And, and he made it very conversational. And that's how people talk. They don't just go, I don't talk to you like this, Darren. I do not do that. And well, why would you sing like that? Yeah. You know, anyway, there's my little it's soapbox. It's uh, <clears throat> I recorded uh, a couple hours of kind of 80s, 90s country, maybe <clears throat> a bit older here and there to play with people coming in in the theater for the country shows. And there's this Merle Haggard song that comes in that has a trombone solo. I'm trying to remember the name of the song now. Um, it's my favorite thing that happens. That I'm thinking, who puts a trombone in a country song? Mm-hmm. Well, Merle does. Merle does. And it sounded, and it sounds fantastic. It's, it's <laughs> can't wait. I always stop and listen. And I, can, I know the solo off by heart, but uh, it's, so, it's so weird, but it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's, who else? I can't think of anyone else who's ever put a trombone solo in a country song mm-hmm. but it works perfect he did it he's a cool artist I mean that, that was one of the first records that I had that I listened to as a kid uh, Sing Me Back Home was, yeah. was his record I got it from my uncle I was I was 13 years old and he was having a garage sale and I got an album like a record player and and he, he said I said uh, Uncle Darrell can I have that like and he said yeah yeah sure and he said have you got any records to go with that and I went no he went okay. Uh, take this one and this one because he was he was selling those at this garage sale too. Yeah. And one of them was "Sing Me Back Home" by Merle Haggard, and the other one was uh, "Just Dropped In to See What Condition My Condition Was yeah. In" by a band I'd never heard of in my life. The first edition, yeah. which was Kenny Rogers, yeah. uh, and those were the two albums I listened to every night when I fell asleep for one year, just one on top of the other, stacked it, and that was how I fell asleep. So was I affected by that music? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Did you, uh, what did you primarily grow up listening to? The, country. Was it, was it country primarily? Yeah, I was, you see, my, my sisters were younger than me. Yeah. So I had no older sibling to 
influence or uh, corrupt my music. Yeah. I, I was stuck, honestly, listening to what my dad listened to, which was country music. Yeah, and that's my, what you did back then. Yeah, and yeah. my mom listened to the same stuff. My dad, now that's interesting, he he liked, he had a record collection. He, he loved Chet Atkins, and like he was a guitar player. So there was a yeah. lot of instrumental music as well at my house. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until high school, it wasn't until I was about 16 um, when I got introduced to another form of music that that I think uh, inspired and 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 affected me, and it was Poco, America, all the vocal groups, the Eagles, yeah. um, Buffalo Springfield, um, the Beatles. Uh, we would sit and see. He had an older brother, Weezer, my buddy, yeah. had an older brother, had a great, you know, the the um, the Almond Brothers, um, Edgar Winter. Like we just, we literally, before we had girlfriends, mm-hmm. we would spend Friday night drinking a few beers uh, and just listening to records uh, and, and did that for about a solid year. And that, that again is all those Calif- Southern California vocal groups of the late seventies. Yeah. Uh, I love them. Just love them. And, and I'm a huge, still a huge Eagles fan. Um, yeah, it was same with kind of the same with me when I grew up. It was just country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we had in, in the house, and we were playing country music, and and it was it wasn't until I got to high school until I really listened to anything else, and I felt and I still feel a little awkward talking about music when I was growing up or all these other artists. I mean, I I, I have started listening to other music, but really I know country the best, mm-hmm. and. Uh, not that there's anything wrong. I don't feel like I missed anything, yeah. but I do feel like I have a strong history in, in country. And now I listen to kind of anything, but, um, but yeah, it's when you, when you, you didn't have the choice, right. Um, you had the records that were in the house right? and, um, you know, you didn't, weren't able to pop on and, and just listen to anything on the internet. Now you can, I'm sure kids nowadays really have a wide range of things they listen to. And, sure. Um, but yeah, you you grew up what was around the house and what your parents listened to, and and eventually you you know you would branch out. Like you said, if you had mm-hmm. an older brother or sister or something that would listen to something different, that's a lot of times where you get your influence from uh, for other styles. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's it, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that I have that. It, it's funny. I don't I don't miss some of the rock um, references. Um, because every once in a while, some like we'll be at the studio, Rick, and he'll quote some great rock song, and by some band, and I go, uh, I don't yeah. know that one. It's like you I don't went, know, you don't know that song. It's like <laughs> I remember going through that I all the time when I was there. <laughs> it's like no, I was sequestered. I was stuck listening to country. So yeah, um, that's nothing wrong with that, though. No, no, not no, at all. It's good. No, no, I'm glad it worked out okay. So. I was always I was going to ask you early, and I want to get back to it. Do you remember? Um, you remember the first time meeting Rick when you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it was. I, I, it was. It wasn't very awkward. It was just. Uh, I literally met him uh, in the parking lot at Cedar Tree. Like I, 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 sort of knocked on the door. I think he might have been. I think he might have actually been outside for whatever reason when I because it, it was. Uh, I would have been in school like in the fall. Yeah. Um, and then we, he told me to come inside, and so I, I just uh, sat and talked to him. And it was because, as I said, Dick Nectel said, "You need to go," uh, and and that helped too because he he knew Dick, and yeah. Um, and then I played him some stuff, and um, so I was really lucky 
that, um, and I don't use the word luck very often, um, that uh, to to meet Rick, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he he actually did he mentored me. Like I I think whether it was good timing, I don't know. It was just it was just nice. And and he he brought me into the studio probably before not not in terms of recording my own music, but he got me singing on demos and. Uh, and sing in vocal groups, yeah. Uh, and and boy, that's different with four voices. Uh, like, I had to learn to be a better singer. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, singing harmony is a in doing jingles. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, that was uh, had a couple of big hits there. You know, get the news and more brought to your door. The Kitchener Waterloo record. That's me. And so there, it was. Do you was, know you and I are. Uh, Singing on the same jingle, are you really? Yeah, yeah. North to Amasta, that's uh, you, right? Yeah, it the is. particles way up north. Yep, that's me. Is that you? I thought it, you know what? I thought that was Steve Hogg. No, that's that me. You. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that that was uh, yeah. North for Amasta, head north. north. The rush yeah. is on. Yeah. Every yeah. time, well, I used to back in the day when they <clears> played it. <throat> that's me. Yep. Oh, I was well, and that was that was another element that I did was we did jingles there was a yeah. group, group of four of us two girls and two guys yeah. that uh, sang most of the either you know one would sing the lead and the other three would sing harmonies um, in, it, in this sort of you know KW-esque area yeah it was a lot back in the day there was a lot of oh. jingles going on yeah we used to go, we, Waxworks was where yeah. we used to do most of that stuff yeah it's interesting you mentioned uh, <clears throat> talking about Rick again how <laughs> excuse me He's he's certainly one person who mentored a lot of people. Oh yeah, and you know didn't do it when he got older. He did it all along, and I always look at if I go back in my life, look at the people who uh, made the biggest change in my life. You know, he's certainly in the top few, like you know, mm-hmm. easily. You know. Uh, uh, in, in the top five or four or three, um, it, he was, there was something about him there. He, he never really, I never really felt that he ever judged you or, mm-hmm. or, um, he was just always a wealth of knowledge and you just seemed to learn a lot from him. And, and, uh, it, you know, you, you look back now and it's just thinking, um, you know, I thank God I had that chance to. Yeah. Spend a few years with him. He, he's a good guy. Yeah, he just is. He's and and it, he made a big difference in my life a, as a person. Yeah, uh, not just as a as a musical mentor. And so, and I'm glad he's still my friend. It, it's uh, and Cedar Tree. You you can relate to this. There there was always I used to living on Cedar Tree time. It's, yeah. it's sort of like the and and I think this is important is to have some chat time, to have some how's it going, like yeah. things just you know. If the session is at nine, um, you know, there'll be some chatting, some coffee, some get to, to before you get into what you're doing at yeah. nine thirty or nine forty five. Or one. Yeah, well, okay, so I was I was being kind. But but what I do believe though is that relaxation, I think that brings up the creative juices in everybody. Yeah. I, I think that I think that's part of the allure of Rick and, and Cedar Tree. Uh, and, and he often would get picked on, like, oh, it takes Rick forever to make a record. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't think that's a fair statement. And, and I don't think that is the case, in actual fact. Um, he, Rick liked to take his time to make sure it was good. And 
and, and I, quite frankly, most of his records were good, and a lot of people made other records that weren't. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that that's important. And also, as you addressed too, making sure a lot of times artists think they're ready, but they're not exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have all the right songs. They may not, you know what I mean? And, and they need to become a little better vocalist yeah. before they push this out to radio. That takes time. Yeah. And uh, Rick was good at knowing that. Yeah, I, I learned that from Rick. And I didn't, you know, thinking of it now, I you, you don't always n- know what you learn from somebody until <laughs> you think about it, right? <coughs> but... You know, definitely in the days when I was recording more than I am now, but I would definitely, you know, you work with a lot of artists and they'd be like, you know, right away, it's like, yeah, you know, let's just work on this for a bit longer. And mm-hmm. I'd spend a lot of time and trying to get that vocal right. And it's like, yeah, I think we need to spend, a, you know, a couple more months. Are you just coming in here and yep. working a bit more on that vocal, see if we can get it a little better. And, and it made a big difference, you mm-hmm. know, it could have been fine, but fine is not always great you know you need that fine isn't good enough no you know uh, and I you learn think. to know whether you can get something more from somebody mm-hmm. and um i was talking to another person about this uh another podcast i've always and i think i might have learned this from rick it, i've been able to figure out when you work with somebody you can hear them saying or if it's a musician or whatever it is you have sense whether there's more in there mm-hmm. uh, or or if there's not and you know for some reason you have a bit of a sixth sense knowing whether okay I can spend some time with this person I know there's more in there mm-hmm. or else they could play and you just kind of know that's as good as it's going to get without pushing either way mm-hmm. and you know I think I think I learned that uh you know, from the years of working with Rick and whatever that sort of sense is, you kind of figure that out. Because some people there, there's some people you can really push and you can get a lot more from. And, uh, you know, there's other people you can get and that's, you just know that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think too, with the technology the way it is, um, you, you can perfect pitch with technology. You can perfect phrasing. You can move the, the, it around yeah. uh, and meter but you can't recreate tone uh, and you, you can't create character. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two elements that uh, um, I think are, are you know, very important. I mean, it's nice to have somebody who can sing and pitch. It's nice to have somebody you know, that, that, that gets the meter of the tune, right? Um, but if they don't have the tone and they don't have the character, that's a tricky one. And sometimes that is what you're saying is that you're allowing them, uh, you know, another good one is here, send them, send them home with a, here's a mix of the, the, the vocal, listen to it, learn it, like literally go home and learn your song. Cause a lot of times too, that I'll listen to somebody's record and, and obviously it's a little different these days, but in the past and still to a certain extent, how quickly did you make your record, blah, blah, blah. And I listened to the eight songs and I can probably almost I can, I can tell you what the last three songs you wrote were yeah I can tell where the vocal doesn't get as good it's not as experienced it's not as cool it's not and I can tell you what song the two songs that you nailed mm-hmm. are the probably the oldest songs the songs that you have sang the most often yeah and this plays into what we were both just talking about is that okay well that's that's pretty good here I'm going to give you a little mix 
go home and listen to it in your car and sing along with it you know yeah. get used to what and comp it for them right give them where the meter is supposed to be yeah give um, them the best version of it best version yeah. of it so so they're not embarrassed and they and then and then have them come back and sometimes depending on it might take two or three times doing that yeah but you're right at the end it's going to be worth the wait um and and some singers they are new they are young uh and they just you know it's it experience uh, plays a part i think we're lucky we grew up in the time that we did because we kind of experienced two different things you know when back in the day when you know in the 80s when 90s even beginning of 2000s before the computer really took over you had to really sit there and you, you had to get that vocal part in tune mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything to <laughs> to fix it right and you had to go over and over until it was correct. Yeah. And now it must be different for a young artist to not have to worry about that where they can, they can get kind of in tune or close enough and we'll just fix it. And it's always, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Mm-hmm. We'll fix it. And you know, I think there's a good fundamental to learn without having to do all that stuff. You know, it almost feel like a young artist now should go through you know, okay, we're going to do your first album and you can't fix anything. Mm-hmm. You just have to, you know, <laughs> good luck. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, in theory, it's a nice nice idea, yeah. But there's something to, you know, that you really learn a lot from that. You think back in your day that you're probably really thankful you, you know, now it's so much easier You think, right. oh, it's great. Yeah, we can we can really speed things up, but you learned a lot. Well, okay, so, so if you want to look back in the old days, take a look at, like, let's go to the mid 90s to early 90s ish okay and so that whole time frame listen to faith hill's first record listen to toby keith's first record listen to kenny chesney's first record and i mean listen to it mm-hmm. and the reason i'm saying that out loud is what happens is that and, and it's a little different these days but th- there's always similarities they were first time artists and so that first record you make um, I'll throw it a dollar figure, probably was $75,000, $100,000. That was a substantial budget in the old days, but not the big budget because you get that for your first record. And so they didn't get the opportunity to sing the song a million times. They didn't have, right, blah, blah, blah. And you can notice how much better they get from record to record. Mm -hmm. And these are huge stars. But I'm going to tell you, listen to Kenny Chesney's first record. Listen to his second record. It wasn't until his third album. Uh, and I would probably apply that to... Now, it doesn't mean that Toby Keith didn't have hits from his first record, and they all had hits from those records. Yeah. I'm just saying, listen to the character. Listen to the tone and the voice that gets found after that first record. Part of it is they became a, s- a sensation, right? And so now the labels are going to spend more money. So now, instead of spending $100,000, you're spending $300,000. Well, that means you're going to sing the vocal a few times, right? Yeah. And not only that, it's probably the first big studio album you made, so you kind of figure out stuff. I did as a singer. It's like, you know, Rick and I would talk. It's like, uh, before we made my second uh, record, it's like, he, he said to me, what do I want to change? I said, I want to change, I want to, I want to do better vocals. I, I want to have a better tone. Um, and his thing was, he wanted to mix up the rhythms mm-hmm. from the first record. That was, we had a, actually had a, just a conversation about because the songs I was going to write were the songs we were going to do and so 
and and I think that again, every artist should learn and mature and and try to get better, and they do. I mean, even the people that are amazing start from somewhere. Yeah, and you think back, you know, not going back to the old days all the time, but take a look at the gigs you used to do. Like you said, you, oh. you played six nights a week. Yep. Who does that anymore? No. I mean, the dates are so scattered. And back then, man, the your band got really tight. I mean, sure. everything got really good. And because you're playing every single night. Um, and then the next town, I'm playing six nights. And mm-hmm. I think seeing live groups back then, there was something way more exciting about it. Um, I was talking to on the podcast with uh, Jason Brinkworth, the drummer from yeah. China. Yeah, I know Jason. Yeah. And we were talking, uh, you know, the last several years, uh, Canadian shows are difficult because you have one here and then maybe maybe next weekend, hopefully mm. you'll have another show. And then a couple weekends from there, you have another show. And I find with a lot of Canadian groups, no one ever used to really uh, rehearse a lot, right? So back in the day, you'd be playing six nights mm-hmm. a week and that was kind of like your rehearsal and then all of a sudden you get a craven or you know a big fair or something like that and you go up and you could really kick butt mm. because you were really practiced and there was no having you know but nowadays it, it's it's way tougher i mean obviously budgets don't always allow for you to be able to do that um but it's i see you know lots of times you'll be on a festival there's mm-hmm. Canadian acts will, will do well and they sound good, but there's just something missing because they haven't rehearsed. And then the American act will come in after them who's been touring, you know, the States forever and they'll just come and say, wow, what happened there, right? Well, what I'd say to that, and, and I'm only going to contradict you slightly, is that yep. what, what I found uh, after seeing a couple festivals is, now it's, it's your point is well taken. Um, what I'm finding with this new generation um in some of like the Jess Moskaluk and the and the uh, Megan Patrick and stuff like that, the money is so different. Yeah. Than when we were right um, with these new artists. Now, if you, if you hit the upper echelon, if if you you have hit songs and you're now doing the festival circuit, um, I was very impressed with their show. Like mm-hmm. it was actually rehearsed. They she they had the same guys and but here's the thing is it's the because the money's different yeah right because this plays into your point where you know in the old days what i'd I occasionally do is i'd i'd fly jason and rich out west and we'd get matthew and um derek uh the rhythm section out west and do shows there mm-hmm. just it was cost effective now they they got to know my show but now it's like you know jess is flying six people and a road manager yeah. to every show so they have a rehearsed show, but but again, it comes down to uh, money, and that's the thing is they they actually have road managers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, back I mean, then the day they, there was yeah. no, <laughs> we didn't have those. Um, but you're right about the six nighters. I mean, that was certainly a way to uh, hone your craft. The the it it goes back into the good news, bad news. The one thing I found, and Rick really helped me on this. He helped me refocus because playing clubs six nights a week. Uh, I sang 40 songs a night, man, uh, with a matinee on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, across the country for five years. And and what I was, I, people wanted me to jam on Sunday or get together. There's no way, yeah. you know. And it's like where, where I had to get refocused is is it was starting to wear me down a little bit. And Rick 
what he said to me, he said, look, here, we're in the studio. This is your career. What you're doing on the road is your job. You need to remember that you have to pay attention to your career. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. You know, and, and, and so that was like, I had to keep writing. Yeah. I had to keep, because I just, well, I was tired, Darren. It was like, I didn't want yeah. to pick up my fart and guitar another on the seventh day. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was like, yeah. come on. Um, so that's, that's the yin and the yang, right? The good news is, boy, you get cast iron vocal cords, man. You're singing that often. You, your band gets tight. You, you know how to work it. I mean, I, here's the other thing is if you talk to me on Sunday, I might sound like this a little bit. You know, yeah. and, and Monday would roll around and you wouldn't hit any of the high notes Monday and Tuesday, unless Tuesday was ladies night. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but you wouldn't like you, you, you'd coast a little bit Monday and Tuesday yeah. and then ladies night's usually Thursday. So you're giving it there. You're going to, you're going to hit all the notes on the weekend. And then you always showed off if an agent came in or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But you had to pace yourself, right? To, to peak on the weekend and the people and then. Be careful how much you talked on Sunday to start the whole process over again. Yeah. Um, but that was that was then, and this is now. And I, I often think, I don't know if I could play three sets. Yeah, be, a music. Be, <laughs> my, my fingers would hurt. It would be tough now, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you get used to going up and throwing out an hour or an hour and a half. Yeah. And, and then. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you probably did would pace yourself a bit more back then, because now I think you're able to give it more because mm-hmm. you, you know, it's just, it's just an, a certain length of time and yeah. um, before you'd have to really pace it out. And it was fun. It was mm-hmm. a fun, uh, it was hard work. Um, it was, it was a fun time on the road just, and, and the reason it was fun mostly cause I was in my twenties um, and I didn't know any better, yeah. but I will also say it was, it was hard work. Um, and, and you do, it, it honed your craft and, and, Sometimes too, I, I guess there's a sports sports analogy, um, and I, I I played. You know, I was an athletic kid, right? I, I still I like sports, and I wanted to be a hockey player. Um, but what I'd never say to an NHL hockey player is, I wanted to be a hockey player. You know, yeah. or I could have done what you did. Um, and the reason I would never say that is because to me that's disrespectful. From what they had to do to get to where they are. Now, the connection with music, and I hope what I'm saying isn't offending people, but that five years on the road, um, I recorded music, I had hits on the radio, so on my Sundays, right, I was at the Cedar Tree, I was at Cedar Tree recording. Mm-hmm. So I was working all the time. I didn't, go to, I, I didn't go to one wedding of anybody I went to high school with. My parents would come to see me play. That They would come to see me, literally. Yeah. Uh, I was home for Christmas. That was one thing. I always took a week off at Christmas, but that was it. I worked 50 weeks, 51 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so my family came to see me. So I gave up a fair amount in what it is that I did, but I learned from it. You mm-hmm. know, I learned to sing. I learned to entertain. I learned a lot of stuff, uh, and, and a lot of that learning came in the studio. So, but that was a commitment I made. You know, in the same way an NHL hockey player um, leaves home at 14 and lives with a family in another city somewhere else in the country, right? That misses family functions because they're training, you know, that that's, and so yeah. I just, I was throwing that, I don't know why I got a soapbox there up my butt, but it's just one of those things where. What's that 10,000 hours thing, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And I think when you're younger, I look back when I was in my 20s and I thought, you know, you think that you you have it all figured out. You know what's going on, and 
And then you get a little older and you think, no, nah, I had no idea. What was going oh, on. yeah, sure. And, uh, but, you know, it, it's it's neat. I, I, I'm loving this time in my life now. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel, I think they mentioned before, you feel like the pressure's off a bit. Yeah. Um, and um, you understand things way differently than you did when you're younger. But you, that's when you, I mean, you spend those younger years learning. And that's well, a building block to, to get to where you are now. Right. And, 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 and you, you know, I, I know you. You were never an arse. And, and very few people are mm-hmm. arse-ish. Can I use that word? Yeah, sure I can. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean by where I'm going is, is that that's what you're supposed to do when you're young. To mm-hmm. try new stuff, like if you if you were really scared and you wouldn't try anything, yeah. right? And so that mild cockiness that we all have is needed, or or you just crumple crumple and cry on a couch, right? Yeah. And so and that's where you make mistakes and you learn, and and then hopefully here's our our roundabout is the CCMAs that at some point you get a chance to have a beer with somebody on a couch and they talk to you. Yeah. You know, and another guitar player, another fiddle player that goes, I've been watching you play. Have you ever thought of like, what? That's what you do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. You just put your capo one the other way and it's like, it stays in tune. Real. You know, like, I mean, those are the moments uh, that happen backstage, that happen having a beer at two in the morning, you know, when you you said, ah, oh, should I go to bed? Nah, I'll hang out for a little bit longer. I'm not, uh, and those... Those are the moments that change your life. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, for the longest time, I've always wanted to put together. You know, maybe it's a once a month or something like a Sunday morning, at a cool little coffee shop or something, where, it's just, every you know, everybody who's your friend who's a musician or a singer or a producer or an engineer or whatever, just have this big invite where. Everyone can just come and hang, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's once a month or once every other month or, and, and just have this social thing where, you know, if there's a time that, you know, that we have to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a fun time to sit and chat and, and just talk about what you're doing and talk about whatever, just have a conversation like we're having now. And it's, you know, I think there's, there's something very comforting about it. And there's something that's, that you can, like you said, you can learn from it and, um, and I, even though we do all get together at certain times, I don't think we all get together enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, in summertime you do, you'll, you'll run into people because you're playing gigs, but those aren't, you know, those are quick, you know, Hey, how's it mm-hmm. going? And, you know, but you don't really get a chance to really sit down and, and talk as much as I think that a lot of people should, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I always thought it would be neat to have something that, you know, that more, more of us folks around here that, you know, uh, could get together and just kind of hang more. Well, uh, well uh, sure. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, as I'm starting to evolve some, um, you know, social media uh, con- connections, wrong word, but just because the, the difference of five years, the, my last record to this one, social media has really changed and expanded and, and gotten yeah. gotten interesting and exciting. Um, and and I, I would like to do a similar thing to I had a my first uh, live uh, patio party and and I'd like to do more performance connected with what we're doing right now mm-hmm. to show uh, to show the the relationships that our artists have with one another um, and to mentor 
Very yeah. similar to what you're just saying. If us, like, if you were to take what you're saying um, of us getting together, record it. Yeah, you know, have uh, and then maybe even have a live interaction, Facebook Live, so that people can ask questions as you're, you know, you're there. Um, I, I think that I think it's a great idea, and and I think even in this area particularly, we've got a lot of mentor. Errs, mentors. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that was lame, Jamie. Yes, I uh, <laughs> make a living writing songs. Uh, that's why I told you lyrics aren't that important to me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, when's the new album come out? It's going to come out the second week in October. Um, that's uh, that's the release date. And and I, I think that what I'm going to do, we're, uh, Jesse T has been really helpful to me. Speaking of social media, and. She's been. She did a couple of these these cool little uh, sixty second. I'll call them word videos, but it's it's a information with the the new song. And I, what I'm going to do this time around is I think I'm going to take about five or six of the new songs and I'm going to release a new sixty second video every three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the tunes are up on iTunes, um, or yeah, and uh, and just present them that way as well. So that may actually come out a little bit before the record itself that's where i was uh yeah. leaning so so there you may have more access to the album the beginning of october yeah as opposed to the middle of october when the record will actually be pressed and starting to work on the next one yeah pretty soon <laughs> that's cool yeah, I I've like got a, well i've got a bunch of dates we're touring mm-hmm. my stories and songs this year i've got uh, uh bev bev mahood and yeah. Dwayne Steele, and jesse t is going to open up the show um, awesome. and so we got to run up north uh we got four shows in October, seventeen through twenty. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the, once the album's out, I've got I've got a very busy October into into the front half of November. So whether I I start right away with Rick, but but November, middle of November, I'll be just keep it rolling. Yeah. yeah. I why not? It's fun. I'm. It just uh, obviously I'm not in the studio as much as I used to be, and I there's a big part of me that really misses it. But you know, life gets busy, and other things get busy, and. Right. And for me, I have to have time. Like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I want. I want some time. I don't want to just okay. We have got two hours tonight. It 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 takes more than two hours to really get going. You know. Sure. So um, uh, I'm looking forward for me this winter. I really want to spend you know some more time in here, and whether it's just getting some friends together, and let's just come and record. Mm-hmm. And you know, for no particular reason at all. But if it's social and it's for something that's creative mm-hmm. and um, it's something to do, and and you know, especially in those winter months where we're all just kind of I think it's a great wasting idea. away. Yeah, I'll come over. Yeah, I'd love to have you. Sure. I think it'd be great. And uh, what I wanted, I've been wanting to do here is just set up a situation where there's there's a bass station, there's a guitar station, everyone, and anyone can come in at any time and just sit in and plug in and we're ready to go. Um, and I'm hoping actually to involve the podcast a little bit into something that's a bit more video based too, where, yeah, where like, we get, you know, next time you come in that maybe we'll have the band here and then we'll chat for a bit, but then it ends up being a more of a musical, um, endeavor and just, why not? let's play some songs. Let's not play the, the latest Jamie Warren song. Let's play the song that you remember playing when you were you know okay well so here's whatever. okay so now you're you're it's funny because i i said i did that first patio party mm-hmm. um and we it was my uh, i did some new stuff and i did some of my past hits 
And then I, I think that, and, and I had Jeremy Williams playing with me, yeah. and I'm going to do that again. But what I'd like to do is just what you'd said. The next one, I think I'm going to look back um, on the songs that I grew up with, mm-hmm. uh, like Bojangles is a tune I'd play. Um, by the time I get to Phoenix, yeah. was a, a song that, like all those tunes that I first learned to play might be kind of, it would be just be a blast for me to pull them out. Yeah, uh, and remember how they go instead of just like I, you know, I can throw in some original tunes too. But I think that might be kind of fun, which is exactly what you're you're saying. Yeah, I I like that, and I like I like going to see an artist too when they they go back to songs because you, you, there's something there that's more than them just singing it. There's history sure. there, right? Well, and and that's the it's funny. It's uh, uh, the, the sing me back home mm-hmm. was I told you about the two records. Um, that's a song that I pull off every once in a while just because I can. Uh, yeah. Because I, as I said, I listen to it every day for forever and ever. Um, Silver Wings. Yeah. Love that another, song. Yeah. Another, I used to use that. That was my uh, sound check tune because I'm singing very low in that tune and, and it gave me a chance to get a sense of, uh, you know, how the monitor was sounding. So that's yeah. what. And, and then you also didn't want to, often you're doing it in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to waste any of your hits. So uh, yeah. that, that was a pretty. Nice compromise. I, I remember thought. you singing that. I remember, who also remember singing that's Thomas Wade and sings that song. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those songs that he pulls out. Yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom and I. Well, geez, there's uh, we we had Warren Warren and Wade for a little bit in the eighties, um, but we've yeah we've known each other for. And you figure how far, not really connected, but interconnected. You know, Tom Thomas was his first band was with with Brad and Kim, my sister and brother. Oh yeah, okay. Very first band was with uh, the Favorite Five. Wow. Was Thomas Wade, Brad, Kim, um, Paul Newell? Yes. Okay. Who who then Played was big. in Wayward? The, the original version of Wayward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that's when I met Paul. That's because uh, you know what? Thomas showed me a picture. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Of that. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny. It goes way back. You know? Now, did did okay? So here's another one. Um, were they on? Uh, uh, Big Al's yep. town. That's where I saw that. I've huh. either seen the footage or I saw the photo of them. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, there is a few photos. Um, um, I think I posted one on, or either sent one to <coughs> Thomas. We found one of them doing an outdoor concert Wow. Uh, at some fair, you know, it's on a tractor trail or something. And it's mm-hmm. Big Al's up there and it's Thomas. And they had all these jumpsuit type outfits on and stuff. And you wow. can see Brad and Kim and Paul and all those guys there. And, well, see, it's funny. And Tom and I met uh, was one of the within the first six months of my band. I was playing in St. Thomas at Birdie Bob's, and his band. He was playing down at uh, the Station Hotel, yeah. and so we, as as you often I did it is if there was another band playing in town during your break, you'd go and check them out. Yeah. So um, we went to check each other out, and that's when I first met him. And that was Paul Newell was playing bass, Carrie Steinman was playing drums, uh, and Joey May was playing keyboards. Oh yeah. And that was uh, the, that was the original Wayward, yeah, uh, band. Wow, that's exciting. Pretty that would have been yeah, and that would have been like 1984. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> memories. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, we've chatted for quite a bit. It's been a couple of hours, okay. and uh, really appreciate you uh, coming out and spending your time and chatting about the good old days and the new days. And uh, oh, no problem. Excited to hear uh, the new songs. Thanks. And, uh, I, I'm kind of excited. Too like I, yeah. I think I was ready for a new record and and I think uh, I, I I'm hoping that people won't be disappointed. I, I think it's pretty cool. I'm sure it's be it'd be fantastic and it's neat that 
you know, you and Rick are still creating after, you know, many years and it's, it's a great combination. I think it's, you know, I think you probably both understand each other very, very well. And, uh, 33 years. Yeah. 33, 30. Yeah. 33 years. You probably can't say many artists have been with their oh. producer for that long. You know what? Yeah. Jeez. Watch me lie. No. 36 years. Wow. Yeah, I think that's right. If I said, I can't do math. 81? 91? 2000? Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. It's going to be an anniversary of the big one. 40 years pretty soon. I know, I know. (laughs) So where is the best way for people to find Jamie on the interwebs? Well, see now, I have, uh, I'm going to say my website. It's jamiewarren.com and I'll, I'll, present that as an asterisk you can find me on uh, social media in terms of facebook uh find me there uh the thing is that my website is in transition yeah. so it still is there you can you can google jamiewarren.com and it'll come up but we're in the process of we're gonna well once the artwork is done which is going to be in a week um i start on redoing the website to match the artwork yeah. the artwork yeah and so it'll be up and and focused on by the time the record comes out uh, Instagram? Are you on Instagram at all? I am, I, uh, but you know, it's funny. More of a Facebook guy. I'm more of a Facebook guy, but uh, Jess had me set up. Uh, um, I don't do as much on Instagram. I've been really digging the Facebook Live thing. Yeah. And, and so that's uh, that's been sort of fascinating. But How cool, inst- yeah. How cool is that, though? Or, you know, it's just like you can just hold your, your phone up and bam, you can just reach all over the whole world and instantly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it, it is it is fascinating. And and the whole idea that you can, you know, play a new song, you can introduce a new song. Yeah. Um you can connect uh with a train of thought with anybody. You know, I mean it it is uh it is kind of interesting. And and I say that with a surprise in my voice because it's it's new and surprising to me. Yeah. Um, now the fun part is with my background in broadcasting, um I don't mind talking to something. Yeah. Right. I don't. That, it's not that awkward, does. Yeah. It's not awkward for me, um, and so I'm finding that fascinating that I can, you know, as as we're, <laughs> as I'm looking at my hand, I'm talking to my hand right now, Darren. Yeah. But you know, uh, I think that's cool. I like. I'm finding Instagram really interesting now too. I'm almost liking it better than Facebook. Um, I find there's just too much junk on Facebook. Well, uh, on Facebook. Yeah. Well, and, and, and see, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. because I have that. She set that up for me, yeah. and so I just need to get better at. Instagram. It took me a while to kind of feel it out. It didn't. At first, when I went on, it's like, what is this? I don't really get it, and it just seemed like people just wanted to post fancy pictures, and mm-hmm. and which is kind of part of it, but um, it's simpler. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's. Um, it's more about the visual on a picture and a, you know, talk. Some, most people just write a little tiny little thing. And I like that, you know, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's different, but it does take a while to kind of get used to it. It's a different, uh, different thing, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be flying on that in no time. Cool. Well, thanks again and good luck, uh, with all the new tunes and, uh, we'll have to do, do that hang thing when we'll, I uh, love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll do, uh, We'll do a studio session thing here and play a bunch of cool tunes. I'm in. Just kind of hang out and that'd be fun. Sure. All right. Uh, thanks again for listening to uh, the podcast. Uh, you can find me also on Facebook, uh, Darren Walters, and on Instagram and uh, DarrenWaltersPodcast.com where you find all the back episodes. And please, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please rate uh 
and like uh, so it just kind of moves us up the scale and uh, gets up into chart land so um, and to all your friends and neighbors and have them listen the more the merrier and, uh, and fe- oh and feel feel free to download all my songs on iTunes is that can I yeah, oh, yeah for sure. sure yeah find Jamie on iTunes and uh, you'll see all the new tunes coming out real mm. soon so exciting all right thank you very much we'll see you next time <laughs>